0: and welcome to Autism Office Hours. This is Debbie Montana. I am excited to be here as your facilitator of today's webcast. This month's webcast is entitled Increased Computer Usage During COVID. How is it affecting families with autism? Supporting our loved ones with autism can be especially challenging during the COVID-19 pandemic. When reaching out to the community, we received feedback from family members just like you. This feedback will drive our conversation and hopefully help you the listener to get some useful information and tips on handling this global challenge, a challenge that all of us originally thought was only going to be temporary. Joining me today is an amazing group of professionals that I greatly admire for the wonderful work that they do in our community. Rolanda Mays is a board-certified behavior analyst with PRISM Autism Services, family leader, advocate, and graduate of Partners in Policymaking. Dr. Mary Rice is an assistant professor of literacy in the Department of Language, Literacy, and Culture at the University of New Mexico. She builds research agenda around Internet technologies, literacies, and diverse learners. Megan Garrigan is also a board-certified behavior analyst with PRISM Autism Services, family leader, advocate, and a graduate of Partners in Policymaking. Dan Stone is a family leader, advocate, and founding member and events chairperson at Elevate the Spectrum, and she's a graduate of Partners in Policymaking. Would you kindly take a moment to introduce
1: yourselves? Hi, I'm Rolanda, sorry, Megan. Hi, I'm Rolanda. Uh, Just uh, a quick note, I'm a BCBA and um, also uh, just an advocate for people with autism.
0: Thank you, Rolanda.
2: And I'm Megan Garrigan, also a BCBA, as well as an advocate um, for people with autism um, across the state,
3: and I'm Diana Stone. And um, before COVID, I used to always say I was a stay-at-home mom who never stayed at home. But I'm home <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks, Diana.
4: Yes, and I'm Mary Rice, and I um, am am a professor at the University of New Mexico, and I am gonna. I'm going to talk a lot from a research perspective, but um, I'm also I also have family members with autism and also friends in the community, and so I'm very excited to be here.
0: Great, thank you. Uh, we'll go ahead and begin with the first question that we received from our community. Multiple hours on an electric device has caused my son increased frustration and meltdowns. We have had. To take him out of his, out of this type of online schooling to limit his screen time, what might be other ways to help create limits when everything seems to be online?
4: Well, I I'll go first. Oh well, people are gathering their thoughts, but. I think it is important to realize that electronic devices, not so much the devices, but the programs on them are specifically designed to captivate our attention. <laughs> and they, cause they want us to use them more usually so that they can change our consumer behavior, right? So there's an interest in us buying more stuff even but the computer doesn't know who has money, right? And um, so it is important to realize that all of us are potentially subjected to things that were designed specifically for us to pay attention to them. There's some debate um, about whether or not people actually become addicted to these things or the devices and the programs or whether they're just addicted to what they do for us, right? So are you addicted to your device? Are you addicted to the online, to the shopping, right? That you get to shop or that Um, watching, watching a certain kind of thing or whatever. And so I think it's important to like have a a whole conceptualization of what is actually going on socially rather than just sort of the psychological, well, this one kid is, you know, insisting on using this device. And um, a lot of things, something that has helped a lot of families is just establishing whole family routines around these devices. So like, You take everybody's device to go into a neutral place not room (laughs) at at 8 p.m or 9 p.m or whatever for your family and there's active regulation around what what um programs everybody is using and what we really think they're doing for us like having conversations with kids about that so one analogy has been about driving and how we tell our we tell our kids as they're preparing to drive about it, we explain our driving maneuvers, but we don't talk to them about our technological ones. <laughs> like, I'm gonna get off that site because everybody's mean on it. Like we don't vocalize that stuff enough. And um, so it's that's, I think those things are really important and students, children with autism and, and even going into teenagers, teenagehood are often like very perseverant, right? That's one of the hallmarks. <laughs> the t- they will like to stay on stuff. And so, um, but also thinking about arranging the environment for everyone in a way that is supportive. Thank you.
0: Does anyone else have anything to add?
2: Yeah, I think to piggyback on what you were saying, Dr. Rice, um, you know, take a look at those specific things like activities, um, games, or interacting with your kids that compete with the electronics. So while it's really, really reinforcing to be on electronics and have that feedback from that that screen, um, we wanna look for things that compete with that, that are more fun, more reinforcing, maybe easier to do, um, to help increase that behavior of being off the electronics versus on the electronics. Now, this might take a lot more work from the other adults or caretakers in the home, um, but things like, you know, board games, building Lego sets, drawing, art, music, dancing, those kind of things um, can be a lot of fun and compete with, the, with that desire to be on the, on the screen.
4: Yeah, like I, I watched a boy watch many, many hours of um, garbage trucks coming and picking up garbage. Because I mean it's cool. <laughs> I myself was enthralled. Um, but then what the parents did that I think was really smart is get the child to engage with the actual garbage truck. <laughs> and so and and the the person who drove the truck, bless their heart, actually noticed the boy and let him come out and pull the lever one time to pick up the <laughs> pick up the can. And that was such a good day, right? And so there's ways to sort of think about, well, what is the technology doing for us or the child? And how do we, like Megan was saying, replicate that in other spaces or show them how that's happening outside of technology? Right, right. Um,
3: I can't, I wanted to add in the fact that, you know, my son loves being on the computer and also he <laughs> It kind of made me laugh, Mary, when you were talking about, you know, purchasing things because the other obsession my son has is Amazon. He thinks cell phones are to go on Amazon app and try to order things. So not to talk on the phone, just to order things. So we have a behavior chart. And I know that a lot of children, you know, it's for maybe or for us, we do negative and positive reinforcement when it comes to a behavior chart and i know that a lot of children may not be understanding of, you know, that type of thing to lose things as well as gain things but for my son it works and so we will limit the amount of times that he can even get on our phone you know he can get on our phone for maybe 5 minutes to look at amazon but only 3 up to 3 times a day and that's it and for him that seems like a horrible limiting amount of time, but he deals with it and he knows that after he earns a certain amount of points at the end of the week, he might be able to earn a book or he might be able to earn something that he chose. So we work it that way. The the worst one is YouTube because I have tried, and I've actually seen other parents try on Amazon or on YouTube, trying to block videos and, You know, unless they're swearing, you can't really block YouTube videos. And there's horrible ones out there that just don't, um, you know, work. And my son is always trying to understand, you know, why are kids fighting? So he keeps playing those things. And I'm not really sure what to do about that exactly other than we, again, use the behavior chart to limit the amount of times that he can use it and use an incentive for why he doesn't now when it comes to schooling you know i think it helps a lot when you have a teacher who doesn't either uh you know isn't nonstop. um my son finally after having um a negative experience half the year and now a positive experience with a different teacher that limits you know he works on different subjects throughout the day, but it's only in 15 to 20 minute increments, one on one through Zoom with a teacher working on those assignments. And he's OK. And he's not overstimulated. He's not, um, you know, exhausted by being on the computer throughout the day because of those small increments. And he's getting that one on one with the person. and He's actually learning versus just getting assignments that you have to just try to figure out with the, with um, mom and dad. Trying to work them rather than the teacher.
1: Thanks, Diana. I I'd like to uh, sort of go chime in a little bit and, and um, talk about this question. Also has to do with the frustration with the child. The child is having in the meltdowns, and so is that because they don't want to be on online school and would rather have more free time, access to to computer, or more fun stuff. So. Uh, you know, you have to figure out where is that meltdown? Where is that breakdown happening? And so I would say that if the the child doesn't want to be on online school and would rather be on um, just looking at YouTube videos or doing something else online, then maybe like someone uh, like Dr. Rice was saying, maybe have the routine and then um, Megan with the the competing uh, activities, but as well as saying, well, first we have to do this, then you could have so much time of free access to whatever you want that's within the limits of what you know what the parent has already in place. So maybe something like that because it, obviously there's a frustration And where is it? Is it because the child doesn't wanna be on online school or would rather be doing uh, something more fun than, than be on online school? So I think that that would be something that parent, individual parents would have to look at and maybe use a lot of the strategies that are people who have already spoken about.
0: Thanks, Rwanda. Wow, you guys are just sharing all kinds of wonderful wisdom. Um, Let's see here. The next question we have is what are some free trainings for grandparents wanting to learn computer skills to help children who are uh, in online school? What advice do you have for grandparents and parents who are trying to learn and support their children's online learning?
4: We actually live in a community that does have a lot of different um, services. So the Albuquerque library system, for instance, has adult learning classes so some of them are even one on one. So if there's grandparents who want to go down and do that. Um, also, New Mexico, or Albuquerque has about at least 10 different community resources for um, different things, some of them cost, some of them don't. Um, and I have a link that I'll share, but actually there, um, a lot of them are, like there are ones that are at um, senior living centers and there are sort of government and community run programs. So, and then the other thing is that, um, that there are a lot of, just like YouTube tutorials that are very short and a lot of them are even made for seniors these days, if you use that as a keyword. So to learn how to do um, different things. And so if you, I don't know how, you know, where it would be a good place to start, whether you you would want to search up some specific things for your family member and like send them specific videos or just show them the array of what is out there. But they're actually, there's a lot of, we're living in a good, a golden age <laughs> for people in their golden years to uh, be learning how to use advanced technologies. Um, So, and then I think generally just grandparents can be really important support for for children with autism and also the other members of the family. I think it's important for them not to be super judgmental (laughs) of parents. And um, and I think video messaging and Skyping and FaceTiming are really helpful. So my sister was telling me that her neighbor has a daughter with pretty severe obsessive compulsive disorder and she is very attached to her grandmother. And so COVID has been really hard because of that. But the video messaging has really been doing fun because in some ways they can still cook together and, um, you know, um, and I've seen grandparents go, if the kid's eating a Cheeto, they'll go get a Cheeto out of their own cupboard and sort of figure out ways to share that experience, so.
3: Oh, that's awesome. Does anybody else have anything to add? Well, I, my dad is already computer savvy, but, and he used to live here in New Mexico. Now he's living in Oregon, but um, I think, you know, starting out with things like like you mentioned, FaceTime and even Zoom and starting out with those steps of being able to connect that way is a good start. And I can definitely tell you that my dad has helped my other son and his girlfriend with tutoring him when it comes to math online by using those um, those apps. You know, he may be far away, but he can explain, you know, calculus to them, <laughs> to both of them and helping them with their college assignments. And, you know, and he talks and communicates with um, my younger son as well that way. And it helps create a bond. It helps my dad be more comfortable. And he's had a great experience. All of all four of them, when it comes to, um, you know, learning and helping him guide him through, you know, the school assignments. Definitely. And then I can, definitely say when he did live here he loved he was part of a computer group part of at Meadowlark retirement center here in rio rancho and he loved that group and when he moved away to california he was that was the first thing he was looking for was where can i sign up to be in a computer group and sadly in southern california he could not find one that was close to him and he missed the fact that rio rancho and albuquerque had access to so many different opportunities to join. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, we were better off. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Megan or Rolanda, do you have anything else to say?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to chime in too, besides the resources that are available in our communities. um, Also, I'd recommend talking with the school itself. So sometimes there are specific programs. Um, or websites that the schools or classrooms are using. So be sure to use those direct resources that are available at the schools. Um, districts employ educational technology specialists, ed techs, um, who are, are great resources for pointing you in the right direction or even setting up a time to walk through um, a certain programs or things or how to find information online. Um, and I'll just echo Um, using Google as well, you know, just do a simple Google search or real specific to, you know, the, the lesson and the the program that you're looking for. And oftentimes there's a recording for it. So even us that have been doing it for years, I mean, I can say for myself, really rely on those Google videos sometimes to get us through, um, when we need it. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I agree. I use those as well for many things.
1: Um, I have just okay. a comment too if I, uh, I think that depending on the child they're a lot more savvy than, than some other people and if the grandparent learns from the child depending on, on the level of the child and how much they can, if they're just in that experience and sharing, I think that that would be, uh, you know, beneficial for both so that they have that interaction with the grandparent. If the grandparent is able to be near the child, you know, due to the constraints of COVID. And maybe that, that, that interaction between the grandparent and the child and the child teaching the grandparent, maybe that would be another way to kind of support that.
3: Thank you, Rolanda. I wanna reiterate how rewarding it is for the grandparents just as much as for the child too, because it means so much, especially in this time when we're all feeling alone. Um, grandparents more than anything, you know, um, I love the idea of them failing and being wanted even more, especially when it comes to even academics.
0: Right, right. That's a good point. Thanks, Diana. Um, let's see, we'll go ahead and jump to the next question. My son's rigidity about things looking right on the computer often interferes with the academic content that is being taught. How can I work on this?
4: Yeah, I've seen seen that with a lot of children actually. So um, even outside of the technology, the the teacher will be teaching math and they'll assign the students problems three, five, and seven from the math book. (laughs) And those kids need to do problems one, two, and then three (laughs) to do it. And then those, On learning management systems like Seesaw where the teacher often um, they've scanned in worksheets onto the, into the system and the child will pull up the worksheet and then you have to take a box that you put in from the program and resize it. And then, you know, some kids just really want to put that box the same size as all of the other boxes and it will take them, uh, you know, two hours to do something that if they were handwriting would actually have taken 20 minutes. And I think that some of that stuff is are things that is important to point out to design people. So which is some of the work that I do in helping people understand design and what makes accessibility um, in, in good design for online curriculum pieces and also management systems and so forth. But, um, but also I think it's very important to um, help communicate those kinds of things to teachers. So, cause the mental rigidity and things like that um, are going to be challenges and they're hard to they're hard to overcome and they're hard to like be to um, you know find to find replacements for and things like that it's very difficult but to help the teacher understand how long something is really taking and what um, what what might be a different or an alternative idea I think is going to be really important um, on this because oftentimes they just don't know they never even thought about it and when they know then a lot of times they will do something so, so sometimes not and if not then parents have to keep going and asking people until they find someone who will support them so but I think communicating all stuff to teachers is going to be is absolutely critical to so that they can understand how to how to better make those things so the other thing I want to say I, this goes back to the, U, the sort of the YouTube conversation before in question one is that schools you know for better or for worse are their mission, is to make kids into um, obedient workers, right? And so they like this sort of taskmaster orientation. They actually like to foster perfectionism, that kind of thing in children. And they don't, like I said, they don't understand the limits of it and they don't understand how it harms families and how spending two hours on an assignment at home is really frustrating for, all, for everyone. And so we have to help them know that.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Rice.
3: Um, After the first um, half of this school year, struggling with a teacher and trying to communicate the best that I could regarding issues like this, and I feel for every parent that is struggling with this, I mean, communication is huge. But if you have a teacher who doesn't understand that, like we did, who just kept saying things like, Well, you're a homeschool teacher now and i kept saying no that's not my job my job is to support you and she never would understand that or bend she thought her experience of having a mother with dementia meant she understood autistic children and then kept comparing her other students to each other saying well this one could do it so why can't yours and things like that you know i want to make sure that you know you have a good positive communication To find solutions together. But if it's not working and it's not breaking down, you need to go to the next step, which is, you know, the SEAL or site specialist and talk to them about it. And if things still aren't necessarily changing, I mean, usually they will work with you and do the best they can. But, you know, there's still another step. You could talk to the vice principal if you still aren't seeing any changes that can help your child because it shouldn't take 45 minutes to do something. That should only take 15 minutes if you're not getting the assistance through communication with that teacher. And I can say, I mean, that was my experience, but I didn't give up and I didn't stop and I didn't try to take it to a negative place. I just kept trying to stay in a solution until I got that solution. And um, that's the most positive I could say to that, other than ultimately having to switch teachers to a far better understanding that was a better fit for my child. I won't say that the other person was bad. I'll just say it wasn't a good fit. And recognizing that and trying to still be that advocate for your child doesn't mean you have to be a hardcore person or a mean person. You just need to keep communicating and don't give up.
4: Right. Yeah. Thanks, I like Diana. So yeah, I think that um, a lot of our the research that we did during remote learning was very much about teachers um, and parents getting into strange dynamics where teachers were trying to supervise parents as middle managers <laughs> and the kids were the sort of the factory workers, right, making the product. And a lot of parents really um, resented that sort of dynamic where it's like, you no, know, where they were try, where the teacher tried to be your boss right and say you you need to get the kid to do this and um and i i really think that that is a you know that was a problematic dynamic and that and and notice how violent the reaction is from schools when they got taken out of the seat of power the locus which was the school building and how now all of a sudden there's all these policies about um you know, we're gonna extend the school year 10 days and we're gonna extend it for an hour a day without thinking about how that would impact students with disabilities and also even teachers who really are drained as well, right? Not to be overly critical of them because I think they've worked really hard and they're under their own constraints, but just like you can't get in that dynamic with them where they tell you what to do. Like you have to keep inviting them into conversation and dialogue and it also helps instead of because some parents have gone in and said my kid needs x and that's usually not as helpful as saying my child is struggling with x and then you think of the solution together great thank you also, Dr. Weiss.
3: you know also i want to remind families that if you're in a class you know it's good to talk to other parents in that classroom as well, because you might not be the only one that's struggling with that same situation, which I found to be true in my case. And it's it's good to talk to each other to, you know, to have a common ground that you can um, share what might work for you versus what might not work. And like you said, that whole supervisory role and that whole, you're a homeschool teacher. And it, to remind the other parents, no, you're not. You have rights and your child has rights and this person is forgetting that and you need to just remind them in a nice way (laughs) you know but I think communication amongst other parents gets lost a lot of times when it comes to um in CBI classes and I think communication it's it's a community and get to know the other parents I just wanted to chime in
2: a little bit too. Um, as far as that specific behavior of rigidity, um, and just, just to point out that that is definitely a part of the diagnostic criteria of autism, that restrictive, repetitive behavior coupled with social communication challenges, you know, that's what qualifies an individual to be diagnosed with autism. Now, again, it's a spectrum. However, rigidity is a big part of the um, of life when when you have autism or are caring for someone who does have autism, so as far as rigidity around things looking right, I I agree. I it's pretty common. I I've seen it quite a bit in my own experience and practice. Um, a couple things to to try would be helping um, to model for within yourself how um, things cannot be perfect and that's okay. Like um, you know not maybe specifically related to, to the student's assignment or the child's project that they're working on, but something else that you have going on in your life. Like, oh, look at this parking space. I, I got over on the line a little bit. It's, I, I didn't do that right. How am I gonna solve this problem? Or just just modeling that process for them and then helping make ties back to their own experience with that. Um, also to be sure to, to praise those things that you want to see more of. So if you're, if you see that your student or child um, is, you know, let's go a little bit and says, okay, I'm, I'm going to submit it and it's not perfect. Um, lots of praise. That's a celebration. Yeah, no problem. You know, from, from the family side as well as the teacher side too. And I really just want to reiterate, I cannot agree with both of you or everyone that's spoken about um, communication between families and educators. Everyone is absolutely trying to do the best they can in this world that was thrust upon us with no um, precedence and no prior experience. So as we're we're all going through this process and learning together, um, keeping in mind that most oftentimes we're all trying to do the best we can and we've got these different objectives that are oftentimes competing um, and that communication and healthy positive communication between, between all different groups um, is one of the most best beneficial things that we can develop um, for those individuals that we're supporting.
1: So to kind of go off of what Megan was saying, the strategies that uh, you would use for somebody who has this the rigidity, uh, in, in addition to the modeling, of, and of course, going over the communication is just still extremely important, that collaborative process, but um, you could also deal with the rigidity is maybe giving that, that child a choice of between which one do they, if it's a problem with maybe like Dr. Rice was saying that that box is not fitting their picture is not fitting completely right within that prescribed box that they're trying to get it in saying, well, we can make a choice between we could do, we can make this one look like this, make this one look like that so that they have a choice and it's not, they're kind of slowly breaking or not breaking, but dealing with the rigidity issues because then if you wanna try and do it all at once, that's gonna be overwhelming. And so making small changes in that so that uh, the child can, have a choice in that matter as well have, bring the child into that to the picture with that as well. That's
0: great. Thank you so much, Rolanda. Um, our last question is, I think there should be a balance of paper. Excuse me. I'm going to say that again. I think there should be a balance of paper pencil activities and computer assignments. I am concerned that my son is not using his fine motor skills, which are already weaker than his peers. Also, I'm concerned about the lack of social interaction, which understandably is most difficult during a pandemic. This is one of my son's weakest areas and he's quite content being online as opposed to interacting with people in person. What ideas are there for working on these types of skills, while learning is online.
4: Well, I think, I think one thing to realize is that, um, you know, like they computer skills and pencil paper are they're both fine motor skills they're just they're just different and they may motivate children in in one way or another. And so, and also remember there's design issues with a lot of these programs and platforms in terms of accessibility. And I think it's important to give feedback wherever we can. So, um, you know, for instance, I'll go back and talk about Seesaw, but there's a palette of like pens and pencils and highlighters and things. And those get, those are in the way of, (laughs) When the kid tries to go and work on the document in almost every case. And that's not just, and that's a problem all the way across the board, just with accessibility generally and people who design those things not thinking through it. Um, But also just remembering to go back to basics a lot on playing with clay. And, you know, they've got magnetic sand. And so there's also, there's not just typing. And then writing on a piece of paper. There's this whole range of, you know, Legos and, um, you know, lots of stuff with cooking, with making dough and bread, and to really think about the whole range of that. And then I'll say something about socialization later on after other people have their say.
0: Thank you, Dr.
3: Rice. Um, I can say at the beginning of the school year after. You know, last spring when we first did online, um, not thinking that it was going to be going on forever, my son's first teacher was having, um, doing, you know, a couple assignments, you know, that would be online versus um, doing some more Zoom with the whole class there. And my son, he would do the assignments and that would, it would be, you know, somewhat easy and fast, but he loved the zoom meetings where he would see the other students and I think having um and then in summer school it was mostly all zoom and no assignments on your own so he kind of had both so at the beginning of the school year I told the teacher you know how my son did with both and I think having a mixture of the two really has helped my son. When it comes to the social interaction and, you know, as an example, just a couple of days ago, my son went to sign on for his class and the teacher had actually taken most of the students outside to get in the sun, but one student was still in the classroom. So he and that other student just kept talking and having a great time just connecting to each other. And it was so funny because they probably weren't supposed to be doing that right then, but they didn't care and they had fun and it was great, you know, and um, when it comes to the fine motor skills, my son, you know, does the presence learning with his ancillary services. His occupational therapist will have him write stories online, but then we take it to the next level with afterwards, you know, she's even come to our house with little blank pages into a book and with the story he wrote and then Parker will cut them out and glue them onto the pages and then draw pictures. So he'll get both of it and he loves that. And he, you know, it doesn't feel like an assignment. It feels like fun, you know, even more fun than when he's doing art online Zoom with his classmates. You know, he loves doing that because he's taking his own work. He's using his fine motor skills in a great way. And he will spend the rest of like the next few days reading that story over and over again and sharing it with everybody who will listen, you know? So it's really, um, it's really fun for him. And like I said, the whole social interaction with that Zoom and being able to see his friends really helps the fact that, you know, he's been at home for a year, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, taking things to the next level like that, I think, is a really good thing, like making those little books and turning an assignment into something more fun. You don't have to wait for somebody to tell you to do it. You can do it on your own. Absolutely. Thanks, Diana.
2: Megan or Rolanda? So Diana, you touched on a good point that I wanted to bring up. As far as that um, fine motor activities, the occupational therapist um, at the school is gonna be a tremendous resource as far as um, specific activities that will help build fine motor um, for that specific individual. Now there's also ideas and um, things online that, that you can find as well particularly Pinterest is a wealth of um, online ideas for different fine motor activities at different um, age level um, appropriateness. So um, things that you wouldn't even suspect or, or think of, um, you might be spurred with um, some great ideas, just looking at the different pictures um, and things that you can find online. Um, I know I have a very good OT friend who um, will always tell us that your fine motor skills really develop from your upper body and shoulder muscles as well. Um, so thinking about those things too, uh, you want to be sure to be consulting with that OT um, for those those specific um, suggestions and recommendations
1: for things to do to build those fine motor skills. I just wanted to go uh, back to what uh, Dr. Rice was saying about doing other things other than necessarily paper and pencil. Um, and it has to do with you know child driven. what does what the child like to do? So if you're saying clay or Legos, those would be things that you could you can incorporate within that time frame. And, and of course you know maybe the OT can give you uh, suggestions that, uh, that you may not think of in Pinterest. And also there's uh, teachers paid teachers, which is you do have to sign up, but there's a lot of free activities there that don't don't cost a thing. So really having the child lead that, I think that's also important to make sure, you know, you know your child the best and you know what, what motivates your child. And so if there's an activity, maybe they don't like to write with pencil and paper, but maybe they like to you know, um, uh, have coloring pages. So you could you know, find out what they like to do. You can give them a choice again between two different coloring pages and see which one they wanna do. And, and also join in with them. So you could be coloring a page While they're coloring a page and and you have that at least a bit of a social interaction although it's not peer-to-peer it's still something uh instead of the child just being in front of the computer and um just one-on-one with the computer thanks Rolanda
3: you know and correct me if i'm wrong because honestly i'm not sure what's going on with libraries right now but i know that some libraries that you could check out you know the educational boxes that had lots of fun little gadgets and things in them that you could check out. I don't know if that's going on right now. I kind of thought I heard that they were back, that you could do that. So please tell me if I'm wrong or right. But I know that you're accessible, and I love the Pinterest idea, because there's just way too many fun things that you could find online there that you can create with your child, as well as even asking you know the art department in your child's school to get supplies. We were given a bag full of all sorts of different art medium including clay including um, you know different types of crayons pens paint that were given to my son to be able to use at home as well not only for his assignments that but that he uses for other fun things to keep him motivated with his fine motor skills mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Thank you so much. You all have such great ideas and great insights. I know that this information is going to be incredibly helpful to our listeners. Um, at this time, I would like to thank my four guests for joining me today and sharing their wisdom. I would also like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this session of Autism Office Hours as our panel shared several creative ways to support individuals during our climate. We invite you to check out our other webcasts on the Autism Programs portal. If you are seeking autism-based resources and supports, please contact the Autism Family and Provider Resource Team at 505-272-1852. If you are on social media, please visit the Center for Development and Disability Facebook page. Be sure to like our page and follow us. We post links for accessing our webcasts and many other trainings that we offer throughout the year. Although we are working remotely, we are still here for you. This is Debbie Montana with Autism Office Hours, sending you wishes for good health and happiness.